The Gemara in uh, Shabbos and the Medrash in Vayikra both discuss the idea of how global as a group within the 630 mitzvahs are the category of mitzvahs known as loving your fellow man as yourself. Does that principle encompass many many mitzvahs or is it is it is it just really a, a few narrow mitzvahs which fit under that category so the Gemara seems to imply that it's an overarching principle that incorporates if not the whole Torah at least a big chunk of it we struggle to understand that because we thought that most of the mitzvahs that we seem to be doing have no direct bearing or relevance to my relationship in a close and intimate fashion w- with another the fact that I put on feeling doesn't really correspond to the fact that I feel very fond towards Simcha. Even I do. But you can't say, I put on feeling and therefore I see my fondness for Simcha. So, we were introduced to a Gemara in Shabbos which describes a particular individual that sought to get the essence of Torah whilst standing on one foot, which means as quickly as possible. And the approach that Hillel and Shammai took was radically different. Shammai wasn't willing to reduce the Torah to one pithy statement, whereas Hillel did. And the statement that he said that composes the theme, which is the ultimate theme in Torah, the kind of thing that the Torah rests upon, what is the message? If, you have to, if someone meets you in the street and says, tell me, one sentence, what's the message of Judaism? So the response that Hillel said was, what's hateful to you, don't do to someone else. That's what the message of Judaism is all about. What you don't enjoy people doing to you, don't do to them. Now, that becomes extremely problematic because how does it incorporate the essence of Judaism? Seemingly, that doesn't even discuss the notion of the belief in God, which is seemingly a bit of a premise to the whole thing. Belief in God? Hello? This is a religion? Monotheism? <laughs> One would have said, you know, if someone said to me, can you please... Uh, incorporate in one sentence what Judaism is about I'd throw down my glasses shall we say spectacles with fervent conviction of God no? isn't it the basis of it all? Hashem is one should you that that's the essence of Judaism if I would put it into a nutshell graph no? So why does Hillel come with the seemingly counterintuitive description of what Judaism is about? Is about not doing things which offend others because you'd be offended yourself. It seems out of whack. That's the problem that Rashi has in the explanation of the Gemara and he gets out of it in the following manner. He says, no, 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 no. What are we actually referring to when Hillel says that? He's actually referring to a belief in God. He's taking it one step further. He's taking the belief in God as a premise and he says, what's hateful to you putting out one Talmudic thumb what's hateful to you you wouldn't do to others meaning if you want someone to do something you wouldn't want them to not do it when you ask someone to fetch you a cup of coffee you expect them to bring you the cup of coffee <laughs> thank you amazing you've got American South African accents <laughs> 
So when you ask someone to do something, so the anticipation is that they'll respond in the like. And when they don't do it, it's quite offensive. You don't want them not to do it because uh, there's a reason why you're asking them to do it in the first place. So therefore, just like you would not want someone to not do what you wanted them to do, Hashem's asking us to do all these things and therefore it would be very unpleasant for Him, as it were, for us not to do them. And since we have that sensitivity that we want people to obey what we ask them to do or fulfill what we want them to do, so we should fulfill what Hashem wants us to do. And that's really the base of it all. So that's, that seems to be interesting, but that's quite a departure from the simple understanding. The Gemari gives another option, says Rashi, a second understanding, that a lot of the mitzvahs are incorporated in this, in this mitzvah of what's hateful to you, don't do others. For example, stealing, adultery, those are all, all mitzvahs which, so it incorporates a large body of the mitzvahs, and hence that's why Hillel said this particular thing to this person that wanted to get the bottom line on Judaism. Now, that's all Rashi. We're going to go into the Maral now, and we're going to go into the Maral now, I'm going to ask you to be extremely patient with me, and uh, we're going to have to navigate ourselves through these words with care and precision, and it's probably going to be a process for us to actually mine the words for the treasures they contain, because the Maral speaks in a very clear fashion, but it's, it's often very misleading, because often he doesn't specifically focus in a very tangible way on the point that he's trying to get across so he leaves a lot open for us to delve into so he says the following thing he says first of all he comments on Rashi which we spoke about last time that the Rashi's Perushim Sharashi and Rechokim they're very distant they seem pushed forced and um, then he adds a second kasha Va'oid kasha betrays kanim the karma ben azay they say for told us adam uklal yose mizeh ma'inz they say for told us adam niklal gadol betray and then he says that in fact in, in when we initially introduced ourselves to this idea of the, the this klal gadol betray this overriding principle of Torah we had two opinions there was Rabbi Akiva that said the overriding principle of the Torah is loving your fellow man as yourself and ben azay argued and he said no the overriding principle of the Torah is this we, he chooses a seemingly random verse from Genesis which says that the overriding principle in the Torah is Zeh Sefer Toldos Adam. This is the re or the discussion, the retelling of the generations of man. This, that, that's what the Torah is all about. But it seemingly there's no connection to those words and some type of general principle which is manifest throughout the midst of the Torah. So, so the Maral also asks that as a kasha. Are you following me as a difficulty? Kasha means a difficulty and he poses both those things difficulties. Now I'm going to go through these words and we're going to see if we can assemble some type of understanding and I want you to pay careful attention to each and every word because you're going to probably need to help me in getting what the Pshat is over. Veneer the Farish, he says, I would like to explain. Kimash Omar that which Hillel said, what is hateful to you, don't do to someone else, call them It's because that when a person loves his friend, it's a category, it's a subdivision of self-love. Love of another stems from the same source as self-love. We all love ourselves, that's a given. That's a given. Everyone loves themselves. And when I mean love ourselves, I don't mean you've all got great self-esteem, because clearly some of you are delusionary. But you all, we all love ourselves in as much as we take 
extreme care of what's important to us. To the degree that we don't take, even though we should, that care when it comes to other people. For example, when it comes to the way we arrange our pillow at night, it's specific, it has to be at a particular angle. There are people who've got, just in this area, some very strange sleeping patterns. And uh, the, way we, the, way we, the way we arrange our food. So we don't kind of, we're not, we're not careless with, with the way we make our coffee. It has to have the right ratio of milk to coffee, the correct amount of sugar in it. And we extremely, I mean, if we'd be in the halachic realm, we'd be called medaktikim and machmirim in the way that we relate to the little halachas of self-care. Everything has to be very, very precise. So that's what I mean by love ourselves. When we take care of our own needs, we're very exacting with them. The love of another is an extension of the love of ourselves. How does it work? Because that care for myself seems to be limited by the narrow parameters of who I am. I don't have that interest in someone else. When I make someone else a cup of tea, I'm happy that it should be kind of okay. A little bit too much milk, no enough milk. So you wanted two sugars, I gave you one sugar. Hey, what's the big deal? I'm not, I don't have that same type of focus and exactitude when I, when I respond to another's needs that I do when I respond to my own needs. So how can the morale say that self-love is an extension or love of others is an extension of love ourselves? So let's see how I build up this, this, this system and we'll be patient as he constructs it. He says, All of this is because it's appropriate to love your friend <coughs> because your friend was created in your image and your form. So it seems that the first step he makes in this building up this idea is um, that the okay, the first thing that he does when he builds up this, 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 this process is he creates an equation between men, men, humans, and it says as follows, that why do you love yourself? Well, because you are yourself. Now, what happens if yourself extended beyond the barriers of who you were? Now, how would that happen? Well, it would have to be that there's more self than I anticipated. Well, how can there be more self? I am limited by the parameters and the, the fine lines of my personality. What happens if we made someone else who is a duplicate of you? we uh, grafted another persona onto your being. So what we do is, if we could do that, Shanan, and make someone else become a part of you, an extension of you, because you're absolutely overlapping, so then your care for yourself would extend to the now newly established boundaries of who you are. So he says that, since a person is created with an overlap in terms of construction with others, namely fellow humans, so then it's appropriate, it's, a, it's, it's, it's something that you could love them. Because in a certain way, you and your friends are one. There's, there's, there's something that you share, there's a common property that you both possess which completely unites you. You can't have that kind of connection to a bookshelf. I mean, I know that you're a very upright person. It still won't help. I know that your sense of self is very geometrically defined. It still won't help. 
you'll have a much greater connection to someone that has a, a deeper overlap with your being. Just maybe to digress for a moment to illustrate this point, I think this is where he's going. We tend to gravitate towards people, we tend to connect to people who display a greater amount of common properties to the ones that we possess. And hence, in a situation, you'll cleave to the person, you'll associate with the person that's the most similar to you. You, you, you go to a university and you've got five people from your hometown. So you'll have an automatic connection to them. Or you go to a foreign country and you'll cleave to the English speakers. Or you go to a Simcha and you meet someone from Yeshiva, even though you weren't that friendly with them, you'll find yourself hanging out with them. Because in a given situation, we tend to stick. As the Lost in the Gemara says, birds of a feather stick together. But the, it's a Gemara. Um, so, stick together. Have you heard the expression? Meaning, birds of the same kind associate with one another. Birds of a feather stick together. And what's Kishmak is it rhymes. The Gemara doesn't exactly say those words. It says, but the Kavana is echoed in the cliche of birds of a feather. So it means as follows that a connection is often based on the greatest degree of similar properties. And therefore, if you've got a group of people who are similar, you'll gravitate to the people in the crowd who are more similar. And if they're very, very similar, even more similar, until when you're amongst a group of friends, there'll be a particular friend that you'll gravitate towards the most. This principle is a, is a, is a stretching principle, and I think it's pretty universally observable. So therefore, the, the morale is taking this forward, and he's saying, the reason why that happens is because if you can have someone that's the same as you, so you automatically feel a connection to them. You feel um, something is almost if there's something of you in them and something of them in you. Now, if you take that notion a little bit further, so you can, can start to um, allow that to become part of a theory of universal love. If, for example, we could somehow create a sense of self, which was uh, extended to the common point that you found with humanity, so then your love of self would extend to the love of humanity. Because you care about this thing, and this thing isn't located in your narrow body, but it's much, much broader than that. So let's go a little bit further. In the words of the Ramchal, he says, in the Maral, saying, The reason why you love your friend, is because he's created in your image and in your form. And since you have this shared form and being, in that area, you and your friend are one. Because your tselem is the same, your form is the same, your image is the same. Now he goes and he takes it one step further. Just bear with me, bear with me, bear with me. Now, a person's given human, humanity as a law, as a whole, has been given a form. But there's obviously degrees of how that form should occur. There's the lower form and the higher form. A person can actualize different levels of evolution of self. It's, it's worthwhile to discuss. You can talk about people who are more, let's for 
a borrowed expression, psychologically evolved than others. Let's say if you speak about a person not psychologically evolved, it means a person in his maturity and his perspective of the world is locked into a very, very tiny, minute, narrow paradigm. He sees the world, in the most extreme cases of mental illness, completely subjectively. So he happens to think that uh, people above the height of five foot four are out there to kill him. It's, it's, it's in his world, that's a reality. So he'll react to that, he'll respond to the world in that way. So in a sense, he <coughs> isolates himself from the broader category of humanity that don't have that personalized distortion of reality. You following me? Um, in a person's emotional, psychological evolution, the closer he gets to, let's call it, the highest states of humanity, where he's able to um, transcend the, the lowly definitions and the subjective distortions of being, he can, he can understand that he can become, he can acknowledge people have got different per personalities. And he can see things from a perspective whereby if someone says something to him, he can see where the person's coming from, his point of reference, and he can absorb it, even if it's a, an insult. That means he's, he's evolved. He can, he can contain his base animalistic desires, and when a stimulus occurs, for example, someone crosses his path in a way that he's not happy with, he can choose not to respond with anger. He can be offered a temptation, and he can resist the temptation because he doesn't respond to an animalistic, automatic, instinctive cause and, cause and effect. He can, he, he, can, he, can, he can develop his sense of humanity to a, to, to a huge degree. I'll give an example of an event that occurred when one of the greatest sages of, let's say, two generations ago, Baruch Belebovich, he was a student of the great Reb Chaim Briska, an amazing man in his own right, and he used to travel to raise funds for his yeshiva in Baranovich. And he, he would travel often to New York. And he became um, friendly or connected to the mayor of New York. And the mayor of New York was so impressed by his persona, he decided to award him what's called an honor, the keys of the city. It's an honor whereby it's an, to, to, to acknowledge a person's, let's say, exalted status. You say, well, we give you the keys to the city. And when he presented him with the keys to the city, he said to Rebolch Bey, he says, I can tell by looking at you that Darwin was wrong. There's no way you can come from an ape. So th th that's the kind of thing. In other words, if we would be properly exploring and realizing and actualizing our inner potential, so there could be no confusion as to whether we are, we are descendants of apes or we godly beings. There would be no discussion. You have to have lowered yourself to a relatively... Um, <coughs> base level of existence for people to even make an assumption that you're just an advanced form of animal. Do you understand? From a philosophical perspective, the notion of evolution, forget about the scientific evidence for or against, it can really only be considered when there's a clear discussion as to whether we have an animal in front of us or a man. There's a whole premise to the, to, to the discussion in the scientific world, let's say, you can only start to search for an answer to the riddle of human existence once it becomes a possibility that it could be an animal. If it's an animal, so then you have to understand, well, where does the animal evolve from? But if it would be a godly being, so there would be no discussion. It would be, well, what do you, what do you mean? He's clearly a created being and he has a, he's so 
open uh, manifestation of a higher force that becomes from a higher force. You don't need to discuss it. So it could be that the, the decline of man's social, moral ethics in the global sense paved the way for a scientific investigation as to the origins of man. Simchush, you can't, you know, have you ever had a doubt whether that's a pencil that you're holding in your hand, in your hand? Efsha, uh, <coughs> that's a straw to drink out of, a cup with. You say, no, I can't because I look at the form, I look at the function, and I know that this thing can't be that thing. It's a basic point. So you don't say, maybe it is. Maybe. I want you to research the origins. You say, I don't, I don't need to look for the origins because the origins are clear. They're explicit. So you don't search for the origins unless there's a real time. Oh, one second. Efsha mentions Taka Behemoth. Ah, what kind of behemoth? Well, it looks most primate to me. So Efsha Kakumin from the primate. Take. I mean, again, I'm saying, apart from the issues that are kind of like, what kind of implications are there for Yichus over there? <laughs> imagine, imagine your Yichus. You say, I want you to show a picture of my great great grandfather. You say, please, let me show it. Truly, this is. I need to show you a picture. I'll take you to the zoo. <laughs> Have you ever gone to watch the monkeys in the zoo? It's a really kind of, it's, a, it's something which is, which is an interesting, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying it cynically, I'm saying it's quite an interesting thing to like play around with. Go to the monkeys, go watch, you know, especially like kind of the more evolved primates, like evolved, like go, go watch the gorillas. And I kind of try to find the commonality. And I, I'm not saying that they aren't, depending on the person. <laughs> but, um, it's interesting. It's an interesting thing to, to, to feel what evolution is saying to you. Forget about scientifically, yes or no, but just to feel what it's saying to you. And you look at those people and you say to them, does the word Zayda feel good when you say to them? Zayda. <coughs> like, that's what I'm looking up to. Like, Mashayesh, my, that's where I come from. Like, that's, that's where I come from. I don't know. I, I feel uncomfortable with that notion. I mean, I'm done. It could be there were times in my life where I felt very comfortable with that notion, but it also could be problematic. <laughs> <laughs> so it's problematic. I don't understand. Uh, uh, it's okay. Now, the point is, the point is, the point is that there's, there's, I think we all agree in agreement that there's certain people who, who show more higher states of humanity. Higher states. They're kinder, they're more devoted to truth, they're scrupulous in business. Those are the kind of people that we look at them and go, wow, that's something. That's called a person coming to Shlemus, his entirety. So, says the Maharal. The highest attribute of a person that this image that he has should be complete, should be perfect. As the Mishnah in the Ethics of the Fathers points across. Man was created in the image of God. So now the Maral says there's an image. And that image is not just a human image, it's a godly image. That man is, people are meant to, a godly image means you look at him and you go, ah, aha, there's a God in the world. How did you see it? I saw it in him. You should be able to look at a person who has a Selim Kim. Again, like I said, you should be able to look at a person and say, ah, oh, okay, well, there's no, there's no such thing as evolution. Have you proved it? No. Fossil records? No. What? Him. There's no, there's, no, there's no questions anymore. Now, obviously, <coughs> on the deepest level, a person should come to that sense of self-realization. <laughs> if a person's completely in touch with himself, 
and he feels the godliness internally, so then he himself will be able to say, I know whatever the evidence is, it's irrelevant because here I am. And I know because I've explored deep inside myself, I've seen internally that I'm not an ape. An advanced ape, an ape who can higher cognitive functioning and linguistic abilities over even though they've taught no they've taught gorillas a few words. I think they can develop it. They can even make up own words. They can make no they can make up their own words and they can they, 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 there's one gorilla I saw a study that they played a game and then made up a word for the game that they played. So, so that's quite funny. You look and you go, Wow, that's amazing and you say, Well, you know, my, my three year old kind of did that. Like this is a fully mature gorilla. But again, it's very it's very it's very confusing. But when a person has a sense of themselves, the Maila Yoina, what they are so in other words, where does the search for godliness begin? Godliness. Uh, the Kotzka, one time came to the Kotzka, a great, a great Hasidic leader, and he said to him, Rebbe, 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 um, I've come to learn from you, I've come, I've come to learn from you. So the Kotzka said to him, and my dear, my dear student, what have you come to learn? He said, I've come to find God. He said, well, you know, God's everywhere, why did you come to me? So he was, he was a little bit uh, caught off guard. So he said, well, uh, <laughs> so, so why have I come here? He says, you've come to find yourself. But he wasn't arguing with him. You can't, you, can't, you can't find God without finding yourself, and you can't find yourself without finding God. <coughs> because the two are interlinked. Tell him and look him. It's impossible. It's impossible for a person to have a cognizance of self and to have a lack of belief. It's impossible for a person to have a li- belief and a lack of cognizance of self. The two go together, interlinked. As the, Ramchal, the Maral points out over here, he says, therefore, and when you love your friend who is created in the image of God, then you have a Tzilem Elohim, because that's why you love him. And then you have one Combined being, Kumoshi is Bara Lifnezev is Bara Achazev, the double there and this Tachli Satur Shikne Adam Milo Zoysalyon is Telemelikim. Basically, the moral is going in the following direction. He says as follows In order for a person to love other people in the deepest possible fashion, people, humans, a person has to have a Telemelikim. He has to appreciate the point. I, I, I'm going to say something which I'm not sure if this is the intention of moral, but I'll put it out there and then we'll maybe look at the text again and see. As human beings, in our physical forms, there is no way we can be one. Because two things can't occupy the same space. It's too squashy. That's a philosophical way of putting it. Too squashy. Descartes uses those words. <coughs> Joking. It doesn't. It doesn't. Um, th- it doesn't work. In other words, as humans, if you look at our physical form, we are, we are separate. You can get close to a person, sometimes it's claustrophobic, especially if you're English, but you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't become the person, you can't become interlocked, you can't take, you can only occupy the space next to, you can't, the, 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 there's only space for one. In the physical world, there's only space for one. That is also a philosophical statement. In your physical life, there's only space for one. The only way you can make room for another, it's through transcendence transcend your physical parameters, go beyond your physical needs, then you can create a oneness. Why? Because in the world of concept, ideas, or in the world of the spirit, 
So then the physical boundaries don't exist. So for example, I can't be one with you in terms of the space that you occupy, but let's say we both subscribe, just to make to illustrate the point maybe in a more concrete form. There's degrees of this, of course. As long as we share a common ideal, it creates a bond of unity between us. Now, that ideal can be something which is completely trivial, completely meaningless, completely something which is as futile as the smoke from a 1976 Subaru. For example, a common soccer team. Now, why a person would ever spend his time engaged in viewing a group of 22 grown men dressed in funny clothing, prancing around a big piece of grass, chasing after a piece of inflated leather in order to position it in the back of a net where someone else tries to stop them from doing so, is in itself a mystery. Why people would actually engage in the actual sport itself, why people would then watch it is a greater mystery. Why they'd pay money to watch it is an even greater mystery. Why they'd become emotionally involved is one of the Sisre Habria. <laughs> Perhaps only the Reborn Shalom knows that. But there are those kind of people and they exist, as strange as it may sound. Um, now, imagine that you and that person who happens to subscribe to that same group of people who dress in a particular uniform, at least this season, who knows what's going to be next season. It's amazing, you can have loyalty, <laughs> loyalty and then the pa- player changes, so then you have like this, 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 this yeshivish chakira. One second, what made him the mensch? Was it the clothes that made him the person, or was it the... Clearly it was the money. How can he transfer? Like, don't you feel like, when, when players transfer, there's, there's a sense of deep betrayal. Deep betrayal, how could he? But anyway, so, when you have this, when you have this like, over, overlapping idea that you both value so deeply, so then you develop a sense of, of connection. And the connection is, of course, imagine if that idea would be a, even, I'm saying, that's deep. Imagine even deeper idea, like something which is meaningful. Um, you both believe in, in saving. Uh, uh, there's, there's a lot, unfortunately, tragically, in South Africa, there's a lot of AIDS orphans. Because AIDS is rampant, so the parents die and the children are left without parents. So there's a lot of re- relief work that takes care of these children. Now, that's something which is a deep ideal. You came for another human life. And a lot of people, let's say, align themselves in that. That bonds you together. It's something where you can, even in that idea, in that, in that, in that, in that, in that component of yourself, there's total unity. Now, obviously, people are made up of a variety of different opponents, so therefore they're not totally unified just because they have one overlapping ideal. But let's take it further. Imagine if people could overlap in a series of different ideals. So then the connection would be extremely, extremely close because they'd be one. Now, what would obviously happen in that occurrence is the care and the concern that they'd show towards one another would be greatly amplified because they'd see such a strong sense of identity in the other person's needs and desires because, in fact, those are their own. So their, what's called bond of love would become extended and extended. So now, this is a tricky point in the morale. I believe that that's the kind of concept he's trying to build and that's why he says that this not caring for another person becomes THE principle of Torah because THE principle of Torah is for a person to spiritually evolve to transcend the shackles of physical existence and not to be locked into a body which is so limiting, so restricting so, so restricting, it needs to be liberated so that the flesh and bones can just become a launching pad for self. So therefore, 
since the love of others by implication requires that transcendence when the Torah says love after Torah is saying transcend become a spiritual being because if you don't do that you can't do this and that's why it's the whole Torah and that's why by saying that to a person you're telling him that's what you have to do that's what the words of Ramchal say when he says the Torah and this is the purpose the goal the end point of the Torah a person should acquire this lofty attribute a person has to become a Tzalim in order to love another in the way that you should you have to be a Tzalim in order to become a Tzalim we'll see you have to connect to a whole kind of different spiritual system when you connect to that system then you can love another so by me telling you to love another since you can't do one without the other I'm saying to you that's what you need to do now we're going to have to explore this further because I've just said a lot which requires deep thought and contemplation both for me and for you but hopefully we will continue tomorrow